part of the liturgy of the, uh, of the Old Testament temple. So anyway, really cool stuff that we have this today, isn't it? The, to see actually how the Israelites, some of the prayers and some of the ways that they praise God, we actually have captured here um, by, by God, by His, uh, by His Holy Spirit's um, capturing these words for us uh, in the Scriptures. And we have those, these here this morning. Let me just tell you real quickly, um, you know, in, in a lot of language besides English, you know, in English, we like to do a lot of rhyming in some of our, you know, rhyming is a really cool thing that we can do because we have such long vowel sounds. In Hebrew, like most other languages, not like English, um, there's not a lot of rhyming because the vowel sounds very short or very, very different. They don't have the long, real hard vowel sounds like we have so much. But um, but uh, anyway, so they, they used other things like in uh, in Hebrew, they would pair up uh, a line and they would they would make a specific format. And we have similar things like a limerick is a specific kind of a poem. Well, they kind of had a similar kind of a deal. If you'll read it, um, if you'll look at me at, a, at it with me or at me with it, whichever happens to work for you, um, you can kind of see the break. There's uh, verses 1 through 7 that is one major division that's kind of a prayer that they're going to pray together. And verses 8 through 13 is another group, uh, a major division. And uh, this is important to know because these have something to do with each other. Um, each of the divisions has, so there's a major division that's verses 1 through 7. The other division is verses 8 through 13. I promise this is going somewhere. Uh, this is not just like your English class from high school. This is going somewhere. The, and, and each major division is made up of three lines and then four lines. So each major, major division has seven lines of, uh, of uh, poetry, essentially. And then the second set of verses has three lines and then four lines. Okay, why is this important? Because the first three uh, lines of the first part, the first division, correspond to the first three lines of the second division. So uh, verses 1 through 3 correspond to verses um, 8 and 9. And verses uh, uh, 4 through 7 correspond to verses 10 through 13. Okay, so follow me here. You ready? All right, so here's the deal. Verses 1 through 3 speak about God's past mercies. Verses 8 and 9 speak about God's mercies yet to come, okay? So verses 1 through 3, God's past mercies. For, uh, verses 8 through 9 are God's mercies to come, an assurance of God's future mercies. Verses 4 through 7 are the voice, the real prayer, the real, the real meat of the psalm is the real prayer. Verses 10 through 13, this corresponding four verses in the second, second part of the, of the psalm, are the assurances that God will answer his prayer. Now, this is important for us to see and important for us to remember because the psalmist or, or the, the writers here in the liturgy and as those people were led in the temple, they would have a congregation together, much like what we would have here today. And the people who would lead, the sons of Korah, would lead these people in this prayer. And the things that they were doing is that they were reminding the, the people and reminding God, we remember your mercies of the past. And it's because we remember your mercies of, your, of the past that we're looking forward to the mercy you're going to show us in the future, right? They, they say, we remember how faithful you were. We remember how loving you were. We remember that you, you were merciful and you were loving toward us. And then they get to the second part of the division and they say, and that's why we know that you'll be faithful and loving and forgiving to us in the future. He got, they go back and they say, and so we're praying for these things today. We're suffering today, and we're looking, Lord, for your restoration, for your revival, for, um, for your renewal. And then the end of it ends with, and we know it's going to happen because we know who you are. 
you are the God who is resplendent in righteousness and faithfulness and peace and on and on. So anyway, even built in the structure of the psalm is just a statement of faith about how do I know God's goodness is coming? Well, because I've seen it in the past. I know what he's like. I know how he's treated me in the past. All right, th- this is important stuff for God's people to know. This is important stuff. To know who God has been, and because he's unchanging, helps us to know who he will continue to be for us. Amen? I know that God loves me. How come? Uh, because I've seen what he's done for me in the past. I see that he, he didn't spare even his own son's life, right? I, I see, and you guys have seen, how he's worked in, in incredible detail in your lives. He's worked incredible things, even through some, some incredible trauma that you've had in your life and, and through some, some incredible hardship that you've had in your life. And yet you can look back now and you can remember and you can see back in the past and you say, but I know he was faithful to me back then. And so I know he'll be faithful to me now in this current struggle. Amen? Amen. This we know about our God. It's one of the, one of the ways that they've formulated these, these psalms. So anyway, let's, get, let's go ahead and get started in through this in Psalm 85. Really, what this is, is it's, it's a prayer of God's congregation, congregation, of God's people, to come together and to ask for renewal. They're coming together and they're saying, Lord, Lord please renew your mercy toward us again. All right, so in Psalm 85, begin, we're going to read verses 1 through 3, and we're going to read it in just that same uh, structure that, that I was talking about before. You showed favor to your land, O Lord. You restored the fortunes of Jacob. You forgave the iniquity of your people and covered all their sins. You set aside all your wrath and turned from your fierce anger. Let's pause there for just a second. In verse 1, he says, You showed your favor to your land, O Jacob, O, o Lord. You restored the fortunes of Jacob. Um, probably referring to the time uh, that the exiles were allowed to return to Israel after they'd been exiled they, from, to Babylon or, or they, they had been able to return to, to uh, Israel. And he's talking about probably, they're talking about that there, that they've been able to restore the fortunes of, of Jacob. So here he's remembering, Lord, I remember you've been good to us uh, in the past. You restored us. You restored our fortunes. In verse 2, such a beautiful verse, verse you forgave the iniquity of your people and covered all their sin. What a beautiful statement there. That the Lord, even though he reigns in holiness and righteousness, he, well, this is one of the great mercies of God, one of the great mysteries of who he is, even though he lives in perfect holiness, in perfect righteousness, he covers the sin of us sinners. What a beautiful, amazing, and glorious God. Amen. Verse 3, you set aside all your wrath and turn from your fierce anger. They talk again just how he's forgiven their iniquity. He's covered their sins and set aside his wrath. Even though God could have come and brought judgment, he turned away from it, and he said, I'm going to show them mercy instead and, for, and forgiveness. Okay, verse 4. Here's the prayer. I love this. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna say this together here shortly, but look with me. Restore us again, O God, our Savior, and put away your displeasure toward us. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger through all generations? Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your unfailing love, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. What a beautiful prayer, isn't it? Just listen to what he says in there. He says, restore us. Listen to the thing specifically he's saying. Restore us. Um, revive us. Show us your unfailing love. Grant us your salvation. Those are the specific prayers that the psalmist asks. 
as he led the people, as he led the folks of the temple. So anyway, let's, let's look at that real quickly. In verse 4, he says, restore us again. He talks about the need. This word restore can, re- can refer to a turning. It's almost like the word repentance, but not the same word. It, it can re- return to a turning. And listen what he's saying. He's saying restore us. And what he's asking is, Lord, turn us. He's, he's saying, Lord, I need, we need you to step in and, and turn us around or restore us. And certainly one of the things that he's talking about is he's talking about um, them being restored in the Lord's sight. But one of the things he's asking for is he says, Lord, we need your help to turn us toward you, to turn us in the right direction. And, and let me just ask real quickly as we're talking about this prayer of renewal. You know, I, we all go through times of dryness in our spiritual lives. We all go through times of suffering. We all, all go through times of desperation and anxiety about what's going on around us. We all go through times that we feel like maybe our prayers aren't, aren't, aren't going through the ceiling, right? That, that they're just stuck in the room with us. We all go through those times. And listen, I, I don't ever want you to think that when you're going through those times that something weird and, and is happening to you that's never happened before, Right? The, the scripture's full of this. This is one of the real benefits of reading through the Psalms is that you can see King David, right, as he's writing, especially a lot of his Psalms, he's like, Lord, where are you? You've turned your back on me. I don't know where you are anymore. I, 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 you've forsaken me. You've left me. I'm alone. And then he says, oh, there you are, <laughs> right? But we're the same way. We kind of have that same mentality. Is that, Lord, where have you gone? And we forget the Lord's goodness for a time when we're going through a struggle we're going through some strife, and it feels like we don't have the Lord's goodness on us. Well, here's the great thing. Is that in the middle of that, I think we're supposed to pray for the Lord's goodness. I think we're supposed to pray and ask him, Lord, would you show yourself to me again? Would you remind me of your goodness? Would you show me again your unfailing love? Would you turn me around again? And, and no matter where you're at, if, if you've not been walking closely with the Lord lately, let me, let me just tell you, man, the scripture is full of people who had trouble walking with the Lord regularly. You're around a group of people who have tr- trouble following the Lord regularly. True? Yes, it, it's, it's true of all of us. So listen, listen to the prayer. Listen to what he says. Restore us again, O God, our Savior. See, here's the deal. is that The, the psalmist recognizes it's got to be the Lord doing it. He's got to be the one. He's got to be the one to help me develop any kind of, of, um, of uh, discipline is the wrong word, but regularness in following him. Any, any, any real follow-through that I have in my life has got to come from the Lord. He is the Savior. I am not. He is the one who has to save me. He is the one who has to turn me towards him. He's got to be the one to restore me. Restore us again, O God, our Savior, and put away your displeasure toward us. Now listen to what he said. It's obvious in verses, the end of verse 4 and, five, and verse 5 and 6 that these folks are going through some struggle, struggles. I can't even say it. Some problems, some trouble. Again, struggles, we like to say. Struggles. They're going through struggles because they're, talking, they're saying that what's happening here right now is that they're, they're, they feel like the Lord's angry with us. They feel like that his displeasure is toward them. And, and why is it? Well, they interpreted whatever was going on in their lives as the Lord's displeasure toward them. It doesn't say here specifically that it's because of their sin, but perhaps it's because of their sin. Perhaps it's just one of those dry times, though, that the Lord is using in their life and like he uses in my life to take us and, and, and put us out someplace. I don't, know, I don't know if you've had a time like this. When Brent and I were in San Antonio, um, I got, was accepted to medical school, you know, right outside of high school. And, I'm sorry, of uh, college, not high school, 
sorry, Doogie, I was Doogie Hauser, um, right outside of, uh, of college and, and went down to San Antonio. San Antonio at the time was, you know, uh, that's a little older city than, than we have up here in the Panhandle, but uh, San Antonio had never had a, a longer drought in all of its history than the time that Brent and I were there. And I tell you, while we were there, that's what it felt like spiritually to us. It, it just felt like, the, boy, the Lord is just not here for us here in this place. And, uh, and it just was really, really obvious. And, and uh, boy, the land was dry for, for water, and Brent and I were dry for some fellowship with the Lord. But it was just really obvious that that's not what he had for us. So we kind of came around and came back. But, but uh, let me ask you, are, is that where you're at? Are you in one of those dry times? Well, listen, I don't want to say that, that um, what I don't want to, what I want to be careful about is to say that um, no one should ever go through any dry times if they're really following the Lord well. I just don't believe that's biblical. Uh, everyone in the scriptures, every single person who was, who, um, it, who's following the Lord, every single one of them went through these desert times. And I think the purpose is, is the Lord really uses that. He really gets our attention in those places and wants and causes us to really seek him and really look to him as our Savior, as to really, Lord, you've got to be the one here. I'm, I'm hungry and I'm thirsty for you and I need your presence. I, I need you here with me. And, uh, and the Lord certainly uses those times. Now, you go to the bookstore and you're going to read books. You'll see all kinds of books about helping you get out of those times. Listen, I, I think it's on purpose. You know, I think there's a reason we go through trials. I think there's a reason we go through dry times. I think there's reasons that we suffer. I don't think this is odd. I think this is all part of the human experience. It's all part of the fall, but it's also all part of God's plan to bring restoration and redemption to, to mankind. This is us all trying to learn how to follow him better. Okay, restore us again. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger through all generations? Verse 6, will you not revive us again? That word revive means will you not bring life to us again that your people may rejoice in you? Verse 7, Show us your unfailing love, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. Anyone want to guess what the Hebrew word there for unfailing love is? Chesed, yeah, or chesed, however you want to say it in Texanese, right? Uh, He says, show us again, show us your unfailing love. And you remember that word, I've preached on it a lot, but that, that, that word in the Old Testament, chesed, means is that covenant love that God had promised to his people where basically he had said, I'm going to love you. You're going to falter. You're going to fail. You're going to worship idols. You're going to turn in your back against me, but I'm going to love you and I'm always going to redeem and save a remnant. I'm going to continue to show my kindness to Jacob, to Israel, to Abraham, to David. I'm going to continue to show my kindness, my love toward his descendants. And the, the, uh, the writer of the Psalm says, Lord, show us that chesed, that covenant that devoted, unconditional love for us again. Listen, I, 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 wanna, I wanted to bring this psalm up to you today because I want to make sure that we all know it's good for God's people to pray this kind of prayer. It's good for us to say, Lord, I need to see your kindness again. I need to receive your mercy. I need to see again. I need you to show me again you're this unconditional love that you have for me. I need it. I'm in a dry time. I'm suffering. I'm going through a difficult time, and I need to be reminded of your great love. All right. And verse 8, listen to what he says next. I will listen to what the Lord will say. Let me pause there for just a minute. Um, this is the difficult thing for us is listening to what the Lord will say, right? This is the part where we're supposed to be patient, where we're supposed to listen 
uh, for the Lord and, and his response when we pray. We're really good at, at praying while we're driving at 70 miles an hour or praying while we're, while we're going out somewhere, you know, taking two minutes to pray in the morning before you leave the house or whatever, and no time to listen. You, we got to listen. We got to be. We got to. We got to pray with the expectation that the Lord really is going to answer, and that we really, uh, maybe not audibly, certainly, but but uh, sometimes audibly, but uh, but maybe not audibly all, all the time, and maybe not in ways that we're privy to immediately. But you know, there is a time that we need to really wrestle with what we're praying about, and really listen to what the Lord has to show us and, and teach us. And if we're not kind of contemplative and not really. Uh, meditating on, on the words that we're reading in, in your quiet time or whatever, then it never gets any deeper than about this deep into your brain, and that's just not very useful, right? It, the Word of God it needs to go deeper. We need to be listening. We need to be waiting for Him um, as though we're dependent upon Him because you know why? We're dependent upon Him, amen? You, you know, in, uh, in, in many languages, like Spanish is for, is for one, Latin especially, esperar means to hope or to wait. It means both, and, and in English, that's kind of lost on us, right? So if I say, I hope um, for something, um, it, it, in Spanish, you couldn't distinguish that for I wait for something, right? In English, it's that we separate the two, but, but waiting then for the Lord's response is also hoping, faithfully hoping in the Lord's response, knowing that he's going to respond to our prayers because, yeah, I will listen to what the Lord God will say. He promises peace to his people. God loves to give peace to his people. This is the word, guess what? You know what it is? In, yeah, shalom. Shalom itself speaks about restorations. Shalom is a word in Hebrew that means more than just, you know, an absence of, of conflict. It means a, a restoration of all that's kind of been lost in the fall. It, it's a wellness. It's a, uh, it's a wholeness. It's a, it's a healedness. Um, and he says uh, God promises peace, that kind of restoration to his people, his saints, but let them not return to folly. Surely his salvation is near those who fear him, that his glory may dwell in our land. Let's wrap it up here, verses 10 through 13. So here, so here in verses 1 through 3, we've had him talk about the, the previous favor, the previous mercy that the Lord's given him. Verses 4 through 7, that's when he's really praying the prayer for restoration, for revival, for renewal, uh, for God's people. And then in verse 8 and 9, um, let's talk about the, the, the um, listening to what the Lord will say, the promise of peace and, and salvation, and uh, God's glory follows his salvation, of course, because we know this is part of the, the huge part of God's glory is that God is in, in, puts away the sinfulness of sinners. And in verses 10 through 13, these are some of the most beautiful verses in Scripture. Listen to what he says. Love and faithfulness meet together. Here, the writer is going to personify some of those, some of some of God's greatest attributes. He's going to treat them as though they're people and listen to what they're doing. Love and faithfulness meet together. Righteousness and peace kiss together. Isn't that great? Some of these greatest attributes of God he personifies and it says it's like, like they're embracing, like they're kissing, like they're meeting together. And this is, this is what the attributes of God are like. If they were going to be personified, it would be like this image. They would be meeting and greeting each other. And this is kind of how it is for mankind. This is how God acts toward us. He is faithful and loving and righteous and peace toward us, and they meet and they greet together in just this perfect harmony of, of all of God's characteristics as he exhibits all of these things just perfectly. And, and you get this beautiful picture. Here's another beautiful picture in verse 11. 
faithfulness springs from the earth. Just like in springtime when grass and flowers and trees begin to spring up in, in green and, and, and people get to eat of the, of the harvest and the goodness of it. He says faithfulness, God's faithfulness is like that. It's, it's renewed and, and people walk on it and we live in it. We live off of its abundance. But not only is that coming up, springing up from the ground, but also righteousness looks down from heaven. And so you have God's faithfulness coming up from the ground and his righteousness coming down, shining down on us from the heavens uh, and so what's happened to us people in the middle is we're just enveloped in God's righteousness and in God's peace and in his glory. We're just there caught in the middle with his faithfulness and righteousness right there enveloping all of us. That's just, the, that's just how God approaches us. That's just got how God deals with us. The Lord will indeed give what is good and our land will yield its harvest. Righteousness goes before him. The idea here probably is about like a herald, like someone who goes before a king announcing his coming. And so righteousness goes before him and prayer prepares the way for his step. So like a herald or a guide, always going before the Lord. But listen, in all of these ways, in, in God's faithfulness, in his peace, in his righteousness, um, in, his, um, in his peace, in his... Um, sorry, and his righteousness there at the end, always going before God, always going before him, always meeting us first. This is how God responds to us, and, and always in just absolute perfection, God always um, looking to us, always giving us his righteousness, always giving us his peace, always giving us his faithfulness, his righteousness, and his love, his chesed love. All right. So I, now that I've gotten through the detail, let me take you back to uh, kind of the big picture. God's people together uh, about, uh, what, 2,600 years ago would have been at the temple together and one of the sons of Korah would lead the people together in this psalm. They would come together and, he, and they would together, they would pray this prayer asking for God to renew his mercies to them. That's a beautiful thing, isn't it? And, and it just is kind of some of the songs that Brenda, Brenda picked for this weekend that are on purpose. You know, let your mercies fall from heaven. We need it, and and um, uh, and kind of here's where I'd like to go with this: is that um, we don't always feel it. We don't always feel the need for God that we have. Matter of fact, there's there's something wrong with us. There's something broken in us that we we've lost something in the fall that we don't know how badly we need God. Right? There just is when we don't recognize our need for God. We don't when we don't recognize our need to commune with Him every day. It's because there's something broken in our hearts broken in our minds about the way we think because we think we need other things um, instead, but somehow we don't need God. That's brokenness, right? The, the man was created with a need for God. Matter of fact, even before the fall, God was communicating with Adam and telling him what to do, telling him, uh, you know, wh wh what he needed to be doing. We were created with a need to commune with God. And absent from that, we should know there's something wrong, but in our brokenness, because of the, the way that sin has just absolutely warped the way that we think, the way that our hearts feel, um, sometimes we feel like we can do without it, right? So I want to ask you this morning, are you in a place where you need to ask for the Lord's restoration? Do you need him to turn, him, turn you toward him? Are you in a place of dry time maybe? Are you going through some time that just doesn't feel like, uh, you know, maybe you haven't been very faithful with your quiet time. Maybe you're going through a time of struggle that you really don't feel the Lord's uh, goodness. You don't feel his mercy very close to you because things have been a little bit chaotic. Well, listen, for all of us, I think this psalm makes so much sense to us. We need the Lord's mercies. We need him to show his unconditional love to us again. 
we, we need him. We need that renewal. We need that restoration. And we all need it probably worse than we even know. Amen? So here's what I'd like to do. Um, Jason, could you splash up verses 4 through 7 again, please, sir? Here's what I'd like to ask you to do together, for us to do together, just like they would have done about 2,600 years ago. Would you stand with me? And we're going to read this prayer together, just asking for the Lord to show us his favor, to show us his mercy, to restore us again. Would you just read this along with me as I read it? Restore us again, O God, our Savior, and put away your displeasure toward us. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger through all generations? Will you not revive us again that your people may pray just in you? Show us your unfailing love, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we ask too, would you restore us? Would you grant, show us again your unfailing love, and would you grant us your salvation? Father, we go through times, we go through difficulties, and it's not like you're unaware of them, Father, and uh, I believe that, that um, they are planned by you. Lord, that we go through dry times, we go through difficult times, we go through times that we have a hard time following you. But Father, I believe in the end, it's your desire that we would reach out to you at, because you are our Savior, you are our God. And all of our hope, Lord God, lies in you. It's not in our ability to follow you better, it's in your ability to capture us all the more. Uh, and so Father, I pray for us. Restore us, Lord, I pray. Revive us, bring new life to us, Lord God, I pray. Bring new life to this church body. Bring new life to the families that are here. Renew, Lord God, and show us again your great love. Show us your unconditional love for us, your unfailing love for us, that chesed love, Lord God, that, that is that covenant love that, that says, no matter what my people do, I will always show them my love. I will always pour out my favor on them. I will always show them my mercy. Lord, that's our only hope, and we know it. So, Father, I pray this week, as we, as we individually read this psalm um, tomorrow morning, or tomorrow night, Lord God, whenever we do it. And Lord, I do pray that you would help each of us just this week to remember and to pray, revive us again, O Lord. Restore us. Show us again your unconditional love. Lord God, because we need your restoration. We need your renewal. We need your revival. We need it in our lives. We need it in our families. We need it in our church, Lord God. We need you to come again and refresh us and renew us. It's in Jesus' great name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Guys, be restored in the Lord this week. I, I, just be praying for it. Be asking for it and be expecting the Lord will answer in, uh, in kind again. Amen? Amen. 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 Y'all have a great week.